You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, Blazers fans. Welcome to the Blazer Focus Podcast. This is Aaron Fentress, Blazers writer for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com. The Blazers are coming off of a 132-120 win over the Washington Wizards. That came after, of course, that 134-106 loss at Milwaukee. What's the common thread in those two games? Well, the defense wasn't great in either contest. However, in the last four minutes of that game against Washington, after allowing a 114 to 100 lead to become 122 to 118 the blazers clamped down and only allowed three points the rest of the fourth quarter uh they definitely looked like a team that knows how to play defense when they choose to so that was a good sign but still the defense is an issue i will get to that topic along with many others with my very special uh guest, I guess, to the podcast, but uh, he is my regular partner on the Blazers-focused video cast, which we uh, did on Wednesday afternoon, which is going to be a part of this podcast. We're going to talk about, of course, the defense. Is it that bad, all things considered, given all the injuries? I mean, let's be fair here. Is Stotts really that awful? Did you really expect that you were going to lose Nurkic for a stretch? You're going to have Simons uh, playing a lot, a young guy who's not necessarily a great defender because of injuries to CJ McCollum. You're going to have uh, Derek Jones missing a couple games. Robert Covington's missing a couple games. You got Cantor and Carmelo running around out there who aren't great defenders. Gary Trent's a solid defender, no doubt about that. Dame is an improved defender, but this is not a roster right now built to play good defense, but they're still scoring a lot of points and they've been able to win games on this road trip. They are two and two right now. They had that miracle win at Chicago. So we're going to talk about whether or not the defense is really that hideous given all of the roster issues they have and some of the preparation issues. We're also going to talk about Anthony Simons and how he has been shining lately since uh, CJ went out. He's been getting a lot of minutes. He's killing it. He is shooting 44.6% from three-point range since CJ went out several games ago, so we're going to talk about him. And then, of course, we've got to talk about another young player who appears to have had a breakthrough game, Nasir Little, put up 30 points against the Bucks. Now, it was in a blowout, so you can, you know, you can kind of say, well, it's got a coffee attached to it. We're not sure what it means, but he did play well. There's no doubt about that. Maybe he has asserted himself to the point where he should be a part of this rotation moving forward. He's starting right now because Jones has been out, but will he maintain his place in the rotation once Jones Jones is healthy and other guys start trickling back into the lineup. We will also get to a discussion on Carmelo Anthony. He was struggling 
big time for several games until he had a nice, strong game against the Wizards. We'll talk about Carmelo. Is he a liability right now? Is he a black hole sometimes? He gets the ball, and he is going to shoot it. He really looks the pass. It seems like he's been solid from three for the most part until this recent stretch. So is that is that a problem moving forward? If Nasir Little becomes a player in the rotation, does Carmelo get pushed aside at all? I don't seem to think so, but I know there's a lot of fans out there who are wondering about that. So we will talk about that issue. Lastly, we will take a look at these final two games. Can the Blazers finish this road trip three and three? They are two and two right now. They play at Philadelphia on Thursday night and then at the New York Knicks Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Pacific time start. I think they can win the next game, but I think they're probably going to lose that 76ers game because you know what? They may have to sit Damian Lillard in that game. Another topic we're going to discuss is the fact that Lillard ended up on the team's injured list with a strained abdominal muscle. He talked about it following the Wizards game because it popped up and bothered him. He said it actually first cropped up this season against the Thunder. It's something that has happened in the past. He said following the the Wizards game, that it wasn't that serious. It was just more of a nagging, irritating type thing. But he is questionable for the Philadelphia game right now. If I'm Terry Stotts, you know, maybe I sit him in that game because that's going to be an extremely difficult game for them to win. The 76ers are playing really good basketball right now. So maybe you sit him against the Sixers, and then if he's able to play, uh, bring him back for the Knicks on Saturday. Try and get that win and come home three and three on this road trip. So we will talk about that issue as well. So without further delay, let's get to my discussion with Joe Freeman. Joe, how's your how's your knee, your 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 ankle, your hammy, your abdominal muscles? How, how are you feeling physically? Because I, I feel like anyone who is, is even remotely linked at all to the Blazers might end up on the injured list at some point any moment well i'm very old and very out of shape due to the (laughs) pandemic so my whole body hurts also this is a perfect opportunity for me to acknowledge my uh i'm a liar during the last video cast we did i said that i had never had a sprain in my brain i heard strain Mm. but of course as a person who has been involved in sports his entire life i have had countless sprains yeah well i used to be before the pandemic uh, but yes, yeah, I've had countless sprains. So I apologize for deceiving uh, our loyal our loyal listeners. Thanks for clarifying that because I believe people were calling you out on Twitter. Just kidding. Uh, so <laughs> today we're going to talk about where the Blazers sit in the middle of this road trip. They have two games remaining. They've already played four. They're two and two. They are just being riddled with injuries, which we're going to get to as well. As a matter of fact, many breaking news. The Blazers just released their injury report, and Damian Lillard is now on it with an abdominal strain. He talked about this following the win over the Wizards uh, on Tuesday night, saying that it was bothering him. It's something that's cropped up in the past before, but he didn't think it was serious. But now it looks like it's at least a wee tiny bit serious because he's listed as questionable for Thursday's game against Philadelphia. Also on that injury list still is Derek Jones Jr., who is who is questionable. He's missed the last couple of games. And, of course, McCollum, Zach Collins, and Nurkic are out. So we will definitely talk about injuries because they pertain to our – or they are linked to our first main topic, which is the defense. People are killing Terry Stotts <laughs> and the Lakers based on their defense, which is ranked uh, – let me check here – our 20 – Eighth in the NBA right now in defensive rating at 
They gave up a boatload of points against the Bucks in that loss, 134, 108, something like that. And then even last night against the Wizards, they gave up a ton of points in that game. The Wizards shot really well the entire game, but the Blazers pulled it out. So the question here and the first topic, Joe, is one, can the defense ever become good this season? And two, is it fair to ridicule Stotts at this point, given all of the injuries and the inconsistency in, that creates in terms of trying to actually piece together and put together a good, solid defense? What do you think? Well, you know, uh, I would start off by saying that that all criticism is, is fair in the NBA, uh, especially when it's you know levied at a team that's playing as poorly defensively as the Blazers. Uh, however, there's context to all this. And, uh, you know, going back to the, to the criticism, in some cases it's justified. The Blazers under Terry Stotts predominantly have been an underachieving defensive team. They've had, you know, two or three top 10, top 12 defensive teams. And those by no coincidence, uh, have been some of their best seasons. Um, but a lot of that is personnel driven. And, uh, so, so then you kind of shift, you know, does the blame go to the front office or does it go to the coaching or does it lie somewhere in the middle? I think the blame right now lies on the injuries and, and on the depleted nature of this roster. I mean, right now, Terry Stotts is coaching a team currently, as of right now, missing three starters, including <laughs> its, its defensive anchor in the middle, Yusuf Nurkic, arguably their best and most important defender. And their best perimeter defender in Jones Jr. And so I'm not quite sure how you're supposed to show defensive growth or or play better defense when you're lacking your best defensive players. Um, Again, replacing them with subpar defensive players. Correct. Yeah. Carmelo's getting more minutes and Cantor starting at center. And, you know, if you really want to go deeper and, and, you know, at some level, I feel like, and it's against my nature, it's excuse making, but it's also you know, laying out facts also. So it depends on your lens and your perspective of of how you view this. But uh, going back to what we talked about months ago, no training camp, training camp stalled, no practice time along the way. And then you add that onto, you know, a new roster, a bunch of new guys. So that kind of impacts their ability to kind of mesh and and grow cohesive as uh, for the lack of this or for this conversation, defensive, defensive wise. And then you couple that now with the injuries. I mean, even Robert Covington missed a couple games with a concussion. So, you know, he's out. Then you put someone else in. I mean, I haven't looked at how many starting lineups, different starting lineups the Blazers have used this year, but we've got to be near five or six, and we're only 20 20 games in. So I don't know how you're supposed to develop. uh, And and defense, I should note, is so chemistry and – and being, uh, you know, playing together is so important on that side of the ball. Um, I don't know how you're supposed to develop that this early in the season, quote unquote, without all the practice time and training camp and with all the injuries. So, right. you know, I, I, if you're looking at, at the job Terry Stotts does in this defensive, uh, the way this organization has played in the to- you know, total view of his time here, then, I, then undoubtedly there's criticism that should be levied. If you're talking about right now at this particular moment, I think it's it's a bit unjustified just because of you know everything we just laid out. Right. I mean, look, clearly Stotts is not a defensive guru. Let's take uh, 
Tom Thibodeau, the coach of the Knicks. Last year, the Knicks were 26th in defensive rating. This year in Thibodeau's first season with much of the same cast of characters, they've added some players, obviously, and drafted some guys, but they're, they're seventh. So that's a huge jump. And they, they play defense like Thibodeau's teams in the past have usually played defense, right? So I think it's a legitimate argument, argument if you're a Blazers fan to say, look, you brought in two guys who are supposed to help the defense. You're putting in all these new schemes. We're not seeing any improvement is the argument. And I think that's a legit concern and a criticism to make towards Stoss. But the way people are, I think, are blowing this out of proportion is just nuts to me because they said in training camp, everyone was like, we're going to be a work in progress. We're not going to be the same team come May or April that we are in December or January. Like they, they foretold it to everyone that it's going to take time to get everyone working together. Nurkis came in out of shape. You got two new players. You're, you're mixing in some young guys here and there. You have two backups in Carmelo and Cantor who are iffy defensively. There's a lot of things that were going on and training camp was cut short and you lost practice time. You lost, uh, gosh, uh, um, someone, a bunch of, or, uh, Nurkic missed most of the first week of training camp, et cetera, et cetera. So how do you expect this team to just all of a sudden become great defensively? The other part of this too is that they actually were showing an uptick after that first six game wave when they played a lot of strong teams. Their defensive rating, I think, got to 22 or something like that, which isn't great, but still they were moving up and then Nurkic injures his wrist, right? And then CJ goes down. Now, CJ is not a great defender, but CJ, a veteran, smarter, going to make fewer mistakes than someone like Simons or maybe even Trent. And so then things started going downhill. Then then, uh, Covington got the concussion, missed two games. He comes back when Jones misses two games, and things start spiraling downhill. So I just don't think it's fair to lay all this at Stott's feet right now when you're playing guys who, A, are just not ready to be good defensive players, I don't think, at an elite level, a lot, several players, and B, you're dealing with all of these injuries. It just, to me, seems disingenuously unfair. You brought up a good point in all that is uh, not only, as I mentioned, is is Nurkic your most important and best uh, defender, certainly uh, in the middle. You're replacing him with Ennis Cantor, who is among, and, and don't get me wrong, he has been invaluable to this team. He's one of their most consistent players, and, and he plays hard. He's horrible uh, on defense. And, and when you look at the discrepancy between what he brings and what Nurkic brings, and horrible might be too strong, but he's not a, a noted yeah. defender. He's never been. If he, was, if he was a good defender, given his scoring ability around the basket and his rebounding ability, no one would be – he would be bouncing around the league the way he Yeah, is. and it goes so, back yeah. to, the, to the playoffs two, two years ago when, when the whole – can't play canter thing came up with him when, when he was, you know, in, in Oklahoma city. So, but, but the difference between what Nurkic brings and what canter brings is, is the point I'm trying to make. And man, having that interior presence, especially for how Stotts (laughs) likes to run his defenses is vitally important. Now, the other thing to factor in in a little historical context here, when Terry was hired uh, by Neil Olshay during the great shakeup of, of two ten or two two eleven, whenever that was, uh, after that lockout year, I think I guess it was 2011, the stress, the importance was stressed on playing a, an aesthetically pleasing game. And and Terry's, I recall vividly his his introductory press conference when he said it mattered the way you looked and how you played. That tends to be from an offensive standpoint. And as part of his hiring process, one of the things that sold Neil Olshay on him was a conversation he had with Dirk Nowitzki 
who, who said that Terry was an offensive genius, an offensive mastermind. So you knew the type of coach you were hiring to right. provide the type of, of, of game and, and style you wanted to play. So you knew what you were setting yourself up for. And then you couple that with the personnel he's had over the years and you kind of see where things are going. I also, this is not to excuse the Blazers defense because it can and should be better when the season is over, by the end of the season, when everybody's healthy, if you have all the components into this roster, if they're still 29th, then we're having a different discussion in Agreed. May or June or whatever. But here at the beginning of February, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's odd timing, I guess. hundred percent agree. Um, so here's another thing too. Uh, Stotts was asked about accountability. Um, and I've seen some fans talking about this too, you know, and it, it's that's a dicey word to use. It, it, like, what do, what do you want Stotts to do? Bench a guy? So let's say Gary Trent goes out there and blows a couple rotations and gives up a couple easy threes, and you yank him out. Who are you putting in for him? Simons? Is Simons going to do any better? Because And now you've established the precedent that, oh, you mess up a couple rotations, you're coming out. Well, is Simon's going to be better? And if Simon's messes up too, then you're going to take him out and throw in Trent. And then what happens when Dame messes up too? Because Dame is not an elite defender. Are you going to yank Dame out? Well, you can't, I mean, you can't take Dame out. You can't treat him like that. So then you have a double standard, which is understandable. But at some point, you're going to run out of players to replace the guys you're yanking out. If Cantor screws up, you're going to take him out and put in Giles. Is Giles going to do any better? So you can't really treat NBA players like that, which is what Stott said. It's like, you, you, there's only so much you can do. What you can do is you can you can work on it in practice. You can go over film. You can yell and scream if you want, but he's not that kind of coach. He's made that pretty clear. You need Lillard to be in people's ears. But Lillard said himself too. He says, look, we're dealing with some guys out there who are learning how to be defensive players in the NBA, and they're being thrust into these positions because of injuries, and they're just not going to all of a sudden magically become great defenders or even really good defenders. And so that's another reason why I think the criticism is, is unfair. Clearly Lillard has Stotts' back on this and isn't blaming him, which I don't know if he would do publicly anyway, but he echoes the same things that Stotts says. So, you know, it's a work in progress. You know, it, it, to me, I think you'd like them to be around 23 right now. I think if you expected them to be top 10 right now, you're being ridiculous. Top 15, I think, is even a stretch. They should be better than where they are. But, man, they're dealing with a lot of issues. If I go back to training camp broke whenever it was let's say early to mid-december and i tell you that in the first week of the of february you're going to be playing an extended stretch without yusuf nurkic several games without uh jones jr couple games without uh covington and a month without cj mccollum what would you what would your expectations be for where the team would be and so you have to you have to have that context into things i just don't think you can you know, kind of toss it out blindly. I will say all that said, last night against the Wizards, who Washington's an incredible offensive team, uh, and and they they're scoring in insane bunches right now. And Bradley Beal, by the way, is playing next level right now. But right. there were multiple possessions at the <laughs> end of the game when my dudes were wide open, right. wide. I mean, there wasn't a guy within four to seven feet of them. And the result, and, and this is late in the fourth quarter, the result were wide open swish threes. Now, after that kind of stretch, when Washington cut a sizable lead down, Blazers called a timeout, and they had a couple of big defensive stops down the stretch. So right. you kind of have to balance that out. But 
boy, there was either some miscommunication, some bad calls, some laziness, some uh, poor schemes or something during that stretch. Because, I mean, it was three or four possessions when they were yeah. just b- blown coverages. And we could go on and on for this uh, defense probably for a whole video cast. So I'll make a s- switch now. And, okay. um, you know, one of the developments we've seen lately, Aaron, is is obviously Anthony Simons has been thrust in, into a rotation spot. And, and finally, so he's getting an opportunity to produce. Uh, you know, I wonder, what have you seen out of him? Have you liked what you've seen out of him? Do you think that he's finally kind of carved a, a permanent spot there? I believe I've talked about him a lot with you. Um, I, I have on, on the podcast myself as well. Uh, I'm a big Simons guy. I'm a big Simons believer in his ability. I, I think he's trapped on a team that hasn't really needed him. And I think, and I asked him this a few weeks ago, I said, how hard is it to play four minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes and not know what's going on? Because it seemed like he'd go out there and if he was, if he made a three, he'd stay out there longer. But if he went over two, he might come right out. Right. Whereas now they have no choice to, but to play him because Rodney Hood's on a minutes restriction, Trent starting in place of uh, McCollum, who's out. So Simons is not only your backup uh, point guard instead of third string point guard de facto because McCollum's basically the backup, but he's also basically your your backup two guard as well. So you have to play him. So now he's getting minutes and he's blossoming because he knows he's not going to get yanked. I believe that's part of it. And we're seeing him play with extreme confidence, not looking over his shoulder and displaying his talent. The kid can shoot it. He has no conscience whatsoever. He is athletic as all get out. That drive down the baseline, I think, against the Thunder with the left-handed dunk was freaking awesome. Um, I, I think he's blossoming right before our eyes. I think he's doing what Trent did in the bumble, bubble, which is something that Lillard alluded to himself that he felt like it was similar. Uh, I, I think he's here to stay in this rotation. He's going to have some bad games. He's still a kid. He's going to play bad defense at times. He's still learning, and this is a tough league to deal with, with the way guards are playing in this league. I don't know how anyone defends anyone. Um, but no, I, I think he's here to stay. And I think he is going to be a huge factor down the stretch. He, I mean, he's playing his best basketball of the season. No question. Uh, I think he's had three or four double digit, uh, you know, outings during this stretch. And he had right. one, you know, one heading into this stretch. Now he also had his, a hamstring injury flare up. We didn't even mention him on the on yeah. the injury report. He, he was limited, yeah. I think, to twelve minutes or so, right? Yeah, but he's not. But they don't list him on the injury report, so maybe he's fine. But okay, yeah, he did. So yeah, he, he did. He did. He uh, left the game early against the Wizards, but hopefully, for Portland's sake, he's okay. Yeah, and and you mentioned you know asking him about five minute stretches and, and looking over your shoulder and all that. There, there is no. Uh, I don't know if I'd say no greater asset, but it's vitally important to an NBA player to know that he's going to get into a game and he's going to have X amount of time to play through it, to to, to build up a kind of a, you know, some mojo and get going and get in the flow. And so when you know that you, you have, uh, you know, X amount of minutes, that's certainly, as you mentioned, it's, it's going to boost your confidence. Uh, It also has helped him just seeing his shot go in too, I think. And, and he's had, you know, he had the big 26 point game against the Thunder and, and he just looked different uh, for someone who hasn't spoken with him in a while. He, he looks like uh, the guy that we've heard people talk about based on what they see behind the scenes over the years. And so there's no question uh, about his potential and his ability. It's just, you know, kind of putting it all together. And, and a lot of that is opportunity. Um, but this is an important stretch for him because if he doesn't produce, he will wind up backward where he was. Right. To see him break out, I think is is reinforcing you know everything that we've heard so far. Uh, from so, 
So since he started getting regular minutes, which was the San Antonio game, which was the first game without CJ and Nurk together because CJ got hurt the previous game against Atlanta, he is 21 of 47 on threes. That's 44.7%. That'll do. That'll do it. That's over seven games. He was one for three the other night, which, you know, if you're one for three every once in a while, that's not a big deal. He's got a six for 10, a four for six, even a three for eight. That's quality. Uh, four for nine. Like he, he is just demonstrating that he is a three ball machine. However, you know what he isn't? He ain't nobody's point guard, bro. Like <laughs> I do not think this guy is going to develop into a point guard. I think he is a, I don't even know if he's a combo guard because I don't think he's got any point guard in him. Now you could develop those skills. He did have five assists and assists aren't everything. But to me, if I see a guy playing a lot, he's supposed to be the point guard. He's not getting any assists. Like he went one assist, two assists, one, zero, one. Then he got five, then one. And that's in the stretch of games when he's been playing a lot. He, he just doesn't, he's not even looking to get other people involved. When he gets the ball, he's doing the same thing Trent does. He's looking for a shot. He's trying to get the ball into the basket, which is, you know, they want to play fast. They want to get up shots. They want to shoot a ton of threes. He fits right into that. But he, he, you know, if you actually needed him to ever be a point guard, point guard, like if Lillard's out for the Philly game, he's questionable with the abdominal thing. If Simons has to play point guard, is he going to be able in 36 minutes to keep other people involved and, and get some assists and keep the offense moving? Or is he going to go out there and do what he did against Sacramento in the final game of the regular season a couple of years ago? So it'll be interesting to see what he does. Yeah, I, I don't. And you're looking at that that Philly game. That that's that's a tough game to begin with. You're looking at the best team in the East, one of the surprise teams in the NBA right now, uh, playing incredibly well. Uh, a, and a team coming in at the near the end of a long trip, scuffling, uh, facing with lots of injuries. If if Dame is out for that game, you know, get your bets in now, and maybe get your, get your bets in now. Either way, hundred <laughs> percent. You are listening to the Blazer Focus Podcast. We'll be right back after a short break. All right, let's move on to another young guy who had a mini little breakout, Nasir Little. So this young man has just been through it, right? He missed the bubble session because of a concussion after he hit the, hit the floor during practice. Then he had dehydration issues. He worked hard over the summer, according to him and according to Lillard. He comes in training camp. He catches COVID. He misses all of training camp plus the first seven or eight games. He came back for the Wizard or the Minnesota game, which I think was game eight or something like that. Has played a little bit since then. Then you get all the injuries with Jones going out. People wondered who was going to start at the at the three. It ended up not being Hood because he's on a minutes restriction. It ended up being Little, who went out there. And in his second start, I don't remember exactly. Um, he, he did okay in his first start. But in his second start, he dropped 30 on five of seven threes against the Bucks. Now, it was a blowout, so you got to wonder, okay, is it that big a deal? The bottom line, he was hitting a shot. So I think coming into that game, he had 12 career three-point baskets made. He made five in that game. He's a career 25% shooter. So if he truly has turned the corner as a three-point shooter – and he does have some defensive dog in him. Isn't that one of the things about him that they like coming out of North Carolina is that he could play some D. He liked to play D. Uh, is he going to be able, in your estimation, A, keep this up? Again, it's just one game. And B, become part of the rotation once everyone's healthy. I mean, I, I can't anoint a guy after one good game. So so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defer on that one. It was a good game, uh, and it was an encouraging game. But, but it, was, it was just one game. I mean – he scored twice as many points as he had had all season in that right. game. And, 
And, you know, honestly, though, the most important or encouraging development out of that was, as you mentioned, the three-point shooting, because this was a guy, if going back to summer league, uh, you know, when he, shortly after he was drafted, and his jumper was not uh, a thing of beauty. It was not one to behold. And so there's been a lot of behind-the-scenes work uh, back to his rookie season to this point to get him you know, into a more fluid, comfortable, and natural kind of shooting motion. It's not just that his shot was errant. It's that it didn't look right. And so form and all. And so there was a little bit of buzz, if, if I recall, uh, from some of the interviews heading into the bubble from guys saying that he, he kind of had, you know, done a lot of work on his jumper and it, it had kind of started to pay off at that point before he, he suffered the concussion and, and dehydration issues that you talked about. So that's kind of an encouraging sign. And this kind of backs, I guess, reinforces that uh, a little bit. Um, but no, I, I can't anoint him just yet. I'm going to need to see him do it for an extended stretch. Um, but this is a guy who, you know, who was among the, the best high school recruits in the nation going to North, when he went to North Carolina. And for whatever reason, his stock dropped on draft night, but he was supposed to be a lottery pick incredible athleticism, incredible motor, uh, incredible drive. He's a really smart kid, uh, a really thoughtful kid, um, right. and, and a guy who has a lot of potential. And I, and I think at some level, this is the first time that we've really been able to see that potential with the Blazers. And so from that standpoint, it, it was uh, it was encouraging. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. It was just one game, and you never know what's going to happen next. He had five points, three rebounds, and 14 minutes against the Blazers, though, or excuse me, against, against the Bulls, which was solid for 14 minutes. Uh, and they needed those minutes from him because of the injuries. But, yeah, it, it's way too early. But what's fascinating about um, about him maybe emerging is that it it gives you another guy. So, so a lot of people are talking about should they go out and sign someone, 10-day contract, do something, get a veteran off the street or what have you. But if Nasir Little is going to is going to give you quality minutes, then it creates a situation, I think, where, no, we don't have to. We've got this guy we can play, and hopefully we're helping to develop him and make him a mainstay of our rotation moving forward as opposed to going out and getting some guy and bringing him in and giving him those minutes. So maybe Nasir Little is that guy that you're bringing in because he joined the team late. Just a thought. Uh, yeah. One guy who didn't join the team late is, is Carmelo Anthony. And, and he's had, uh, he hasn't had the season. I think any of us have, have really expected to this point. Right. Uh, and you know, he obviously was by, was hugely important last night, but you know, I, I, I don't know how, how would you sum up where he's at right now looking at, at his spot? Is he helping the team? Is he hurting the team? Is, is this a slump? Where is he at with things right now? Well, well, at one point, um, as of like four or five games ago, he was sitting at like 40% from three, you know, shooting percentage, which if he's giving you that, you know, off the bench for 25 minutes a game, you can't complain about that. Uh, but his what tripped me out a little bit, and I think a lot of Blazers fans, it was that they were le- allowing him to be old school mellow in terms of getting him the ball one-on-one, letting him sort of, you know, do the thing where he backs you down and looks around the sides and it's a fadeaway jump shot. But he, and he wasn't really hitting him at a good clip. Like his, because his overall shooting percentage was under 40%, but his three point shooting percentage was right around 40%. So that obviously means on two pointers, he was shooting under 40%. And so if you're getting less than 40% shooting on these fadeaway baseline jump shots where he's being old school mellow, as opposed to, 
Trent taking a three or Dame taking a three or even Melo taking a three, then the math is just isn't working out right there. Um, but then he also went on a, on a slump where I think he was 15 of his last 65 entering Washington. So he dragged both shooting percentages down under 40%. And so now it's like, okay, so he's, he's clanking bricks left and right. He's not playing great defense. He's sort of a black hole when you give him the ball. Is he helping or hurting the team? I think that's a legit discussion. But then he comes out against the Wizards and he has a really good game again. So maybe he's back to being mellow. And it's a long season. I mean, you're going to have slumps. I asked him about it. He kind of goes, oh, I'm going to slump now. And I go, come on, it's been five games. But he goes, I know, I know. And he kind of, you know, gave me a spiel about it. You know, I've been doing this for a long time. You're going to have slumps. It's going to happen. Um, I think that right now there's a lot of overaction to everything that happens with this team. I think overall he's helping the team. But I do think that there are moments when you can make the argument where it's like, okay, that's not the shot we need to be getting because Gary Trent and Simons are shooting 44% from three. Let's get the ball to them instead of Carmelo shooting a fadeaway baseline jump shot. Yeah, over his last six games, he's two for or four for 29 from deep. And he's shooting a career, a career worst 37% from the field right, right. now this season uh, and just 33% from deep. So it's, it's, uh, drop dramatic. Yeah. yeah. Well, four for 29. Four we'll for do it. Yeah. And prior to that, prior to that, he was at 40. And that's the thing. It's like, is this a slump or is this him hurting you now? Because everyone has stretches like that. And not everyone, but you know what I'm saying? You know, the thing with him, uh, just when you're able, you're ready to kind of say he's, he's washed, he blows up like he did in the bubble last year. I mean, he was so right. huge during that stretch and he is capable of doing that at any moment. And for long stretches, for, for several games of doing that. Um, and, you know, last night, uh, I think, illustrates what he can do. He hit a lot of big shots. Now, going back to your point, he had two horrendous, uh, you know, kind of end of quarter scoring chances, like you said, isolation opportunities. And he was deed up so so much in the one-on-one. He didn't. The shots were horrible. They didn't even have a chance. Right. And so it's those kind of moments where you you wonder maybe is there a, a better Give option it up. there? Give it yeah. Up. And I'm, you know, on the Give one hand, he's gotten to be the thir- NBA's thirteenth most prolific scorer ever because yeah. he takes those shots and he has the <laughs> mentality to take those shots. And right. and so on the one hand, you, you can't discourage that mentality, but on the other hand. My man swore for 29 in his last six games. There's probably a better chance. Um, that said, man, with, with a depleted roster and, and a team in desperate need of scoring punch, he's going to be out there and, and he's going he's gonna to do what he's going to do. I think we both were in agreement that once he mentally accepted kind of this sixth-man role, we thought he was going to flourish because he was going to have the opportunity to just go out there and, and get buckets uh, and kind <laughs> of you know not worry about anything else. And – Obviously, because of the injuries and because of everything that's gone on, I don't think that, you know, that's really developed as as he and the Blazers kind of envisioned. So um, it's maybe it's a part of where this team is injury wise, too, because as as the injuries have built up in different ways with Rocco in and out and and DJJ in and out and other guys out, uh, he's been in the starting lineup in the sixth. You know, he's kind of been in and out of things, too. And so, you know, it's it's. uh it's what it is, I suppose. Yeah. I, I just want to feel like at this point, he's been a C minus. Um, and if that continued all season, that could be a problem. Um, but you mentioned the injury. So what are you going to do? But also, I mean, what other forwards are playing well? I mean, Riding Hood can't give you the minutes 
you need from him because and then he's not playing ex, you know exceptionally well anyway. Jones really is not shooting well. Covington, oh my God, Covington was shooting worse than Melo. So there aren't a ton of options <laughs> to go to. And then Giles, I mean, you can play Giles at the power forward. What's he going to give you? Is he going to give you more than Carmelo? I don't know who they really missed at the power forward probably is Zach Collins. So you kind of have to stick with him, give him some minutes, and just hope that he comes out of this and he can give you more of a, a B-minus effort maybe the rest of the season. We shall see. All right, uh, our next topic. So the Blazers went out on this road trip. Let's, let's go, I want to go back to something we talked about the last time. Um, we were we, we made a little not real bet monetarily, but just a little – over under uh, prediction, it was we set 14 games as probably the mark as to how long CJ would be out. We set the over under at six and a half for wins. You took the over, I took the under. Two games were postponed against Memphis, so you take those out. So now you're down to 12 games. We set the over on I think at five and a half, which um, right now they have a shot at doing that uh, because they got lucky against my Bulls with that BS buzzer beater nonsense. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding, Blazer fans. No, I'm not. Um, but on this road trip, they're two and two. They have two games remaining against the Sixers and the Knicks. We don't know what's going to happen with Lillard. So my first question to you is, one, are they going to win, at least split and end this road trip three and three? And then two, do you still think they're going to win over the five and a half for 12 post CJ? And three... Do you think they will remain at 500 or over for the season at, to that date once I'm extending this once I'm extending this for you once Nurkic returns in 6 weeks. My head is spinning man. I I can't, I can't keep all that straight. Well, I, I need like a, like a like a chart or something here like I Kornacki's up on the board like leading us through the the electoral college votes. Okay, let's get to the next. No, well, here's here's what. Well, I'll just, simplify, okay. I'll just simplify it. Okay, I, I'm do. not. I'm not one to back away from my prediction. So I'm going to stick with the uh, the 500 through the through CJ, and and we've adjusted it from six to six and a half to five and a half. So I'll stick with my my six and six prediction, which was seven and seven. I'll stick with that. Okay. Um, and then you know to kind of facilitate that, and I can't remember. I. I think I said they might go three and three on the on this trip. Maybe I said two and four. I don't remember. So I'll be optimistic and say three and three. Although I think that's fool's gold. They're 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 going to bound to lose uh, against Philly, and then you know uh, it'll be tough against the Knicks. But I'm going to predict a win against the Knicks. Uh, Dame loves it's it's his favorite road venue. He has had some huge games at Madison Square Garden. He loves playing there over the years, going back to his his rookie season. So he'll he'll light it up there. The Knicks had had kind of started fast, and I think they're four four and six in their last ten. So they've hit a little bit of, of a of a skid there. And uh, you know, after potentially getting smoked again, uh, which is 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 an option, uh, or certainly in the cards against Philly, it'll be a team looking to come out and, and redeem itself. And and even if they play well and lose, they'll still be looking to redeem themselves. So I'm gonna long story short, I'm gonna say. Three and three, they split this, these last two games and then stick with my 500 prediction for this, uh, for this stretch without CJ. Okay, and then the next question, though, is can they remain at 500 or better for the next, you know, counting the next few weeks after that, that they're going to be without Nurkic? I mean, it, I, I need, it, the thing with the NBA is so much changes week to week 
that I, I what is that a month out now? Yeah. Is that is that to March or to fit? Where is that to March third or March second or something? Uh, yeah, he's he's four weeks off of CJ's pay, so I think CJ has three weeks left. So that could be seven weeks. No, it's it's four. It's sorry, it's uh, it's two and six. CJ could conceivably be back in two weeks when they reevaluate him, and he's already been out about two weeks, and then uh, Nurk would have another four weeks. So, I mean, that's way too much time for me to speculate. I mean, I, I so I'm going to pass on that, but I'm going to okay. say uh, if, if they can get CJ back healthy, if they can get everybody else, you know, if, if DJJ can come back healthy, I mean, we don't even know about Dame's abdominal thing right now. Uh, I will say that that's something that has flared up a couple times in training camp over the years, and he's figured out treat, the right kind of treatment to kind of alleviate that. So I don't expect that to be a long-term thing, but – um, man, I just gave you, I just gave you to like two weeks. That's a pretty good prediction. Now you want me to go to two months? <laughs> I'm just trying to, you know, trip you up somewhere. So let, let me point out something though. They're three and four since CJ went out and we're saying 12 games. That's seven. That's five more games. So you got to win three of the next five to get to six FYI. Okay. So they'll wait, wait, wait. We, we said this 12, first 12, 14 games without CJ, which was to, then, uh, and- and they had two postponed. And you said they're three and four since then? They're three and four, uh, starting with the San Antonio, San Antonio game. So you have to get to six to get you over five and a half. That means you have five more games to get three wins. You got Philly, Knicks, Orlando, Philly, Cleveland. So I'm going to need I'm gonna need New York, Orlando. Ooh, and, and one Cleveland. against Philly. That's not – and Cleveland. Oh, I got Cleveland? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah Cleveland, I can get, New, I'll get New, York, New York, Orlando, Cleveland. Boom, we're done. Boom, you got it. Boom. It's, it. it's looking better for you. I'll say that, but you're saying I got a chance. But I'm not rooting. I don't, I don't want people to think I'm rooting. We don't have money on this. I'm not rooting for them to lose. Believe me when I say this. Sometimes people call me a hitter. I'd much rather cover a playoff team than a non-playoff team. I'll tell you that right now. So I'm not rooting for this, but I just I just feel like they're in big trouble without those guys, and it's playing out to be that way. I mean, think about it. If, they, if Lillard doesn't hit that miracle shot, and what was the stat? Teams down. Uh, five with 10 seconds remaining or nine and 24,000 in the history of the NBA or something like that. So that's only happened nine times in history, what they pulled off. This is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, two and five right now, the big, you know, it all depends on when these, when these guys get back and not looking at CJ and Dame or excuse me, CJ and Nurk taking them out of the equation. And obviously Zach it's, I mean, who knows when he's going to return, but it's this, Derek Jones Jr., when is he going to come back? Is Nasir Little going to get healthy? Is Anthony Simon's hamstring going to you know, be healed up and, and ready enough for it to play? And all that obviously factors into this. But assuming that reserves come and these guys start to get healthy, I still think the team is deep enough to stay afloat until, until they get their main guys back. Um, now, if these guys keep missing time and keep missing stretches, you reevaluate all that and you, you throw right. that out the window. But you know, that's just looking at the roster. That's where that's where things are at, I guess. Um, I'll leave. Let's leave it on one more one thing right here. Just because it's out there in the world, I believe this. I'm new to the beat, though. Oh, there, there's no way in hell they're firing stocks, right? Wouldn't they have to like completely collapse and be like 13th in the West for that to even be a thing? Like, shouldn't people just stop even talking about that? I mean, people are going to talk about what they're going to want to talk about. There's Twitter handles from people who are saying fire stop. So it's like, that's, that's not going to change. Uh, and 
there's a, a sizable contingent and I don't know if it's a vocal minority or because it's hard to tell these days. Uh, my sense is that the majority of Blazers fans are not pining for that, that it is a, a fringe group or a lower level group. But there is certainly a segment of people that uh, that want him gone. And so organizationally, th- that's a decision that, you know, is, is made at the high. But um that's there, I, I don't see that happening right now, but also we have to see what happens the rest of the season. I, I don't, I don't think that's on the table, but um, it, 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 I've learned to une- expect the unexpected. I, I guess I will, I will say to that, but um, for a franchise that has, has had so much success in recent seasons uh, that has had so much continuity and that has, has, has publicly said their success in large part is is determined based on that continuity. You would be throwing all of that out the window, to, to, you know, to make a change. And, you know, it would be something that it would immediately anger your franchise point guard um, who, you know, he's loyal to a fault. And he has been over the years with a variety of guys that have come through here. Right. So, um, you know, you, you, gotta, have, you would have to be on board. You would think. You would <laughs> think. Yeah. And, um I don't know. I mean, I don't think that we know, you know what you have in Terry Stotts as a coach. I think we've learned that through, through the last seven, eight years or how is it eight or nine? I don't, it all blends in now, but um, he's had a widely successful uh, tenure here in Portland. He's widely uh, respected by, by his players. And, and so unless that changes, I, I, I don't, I don't see it happening, but um we don't know what's going to happen over the next three months here too. So, True. you know, right now at this point, I don't see it happening, but you know, you evaluate things, um, you know, at the end of each season. So great. Yeah. Okay. Well, good stuff as always. I think we're, I think we're fine. I think we're done here. We'll see what happens Thursday against the 76ers. I think they're in big trouble, but I do think they're going to beat the Knicks Saturday morning, 10 a.m., Rise and shine bright and early to watch that. Oh, it's a matinee game. I didn't know that. They don't tend to play well in those matinee games. Darn it. I wish I had a look. Oh, the Blazers don't? There's been some some, uh, snooze fests in D.C. (laughs) Uh, Let's put it that way. Um, But you never know. We'll see. I got to stick with what, what I already predicted now. And then they return home Tuesday against Orlando. And we will be back sometime next week, hopefully with another Blazer focused video cast. Peace. <laughs> See you guys. Thanks again for listening to the Blazer Focus podcast. Be sure to click that subscribe button and leave us a five star rating in the review section. We will be back with another episode following the end of this current road trip. And also remember, you can listen to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts.